Welcome to Bootleg Avocado, bringing you stories in the food and cannabis startup world. My name is Mara Rodriguez. I'm your host. And in this episode, we chat with Scott Jennings, co-founder and CEO of Pantry Food Company. They're makers of cannabis-infused food brands developed by award-winning chefs. You can also find them at pantryfoodco.com. Scott, thanks for being on the show today. So let's start with the 30-second pitch of Pantry Food Co. Yeah, and I appreciate you taking the time before you hit the road here. I guess the 30-second pitch was just that we, you know, me and my partners desired something healthier, a healthier alternative than what was currently on the shelves. Um, And we wanted to marry the idea of healthy, you know, the benefits of healthy cannabis with the health benefits of food and see what we can come up with. Gotcha. So before we dive into more of the products and everything else, one thing we always do, uh, especially when we interview uh, people is present to them a little icebreaker or like empathy question. Um, And the way you kind of want to answer this is around your personal uh, views and values, I would say not really related to the company, but, it's a kind of way for us to kind of get to know you and everything else. So I've randomly selected a question for you and then let me read it to you. Okay. So, so what role can silence play in a conversation? Oh, fantastic question. Um, Silence can play, you know, probably one of the the best roles in a conversation because you're not repeating what you already know and you can actually listen and learn and advance your, your, you know, overall knowledge base of a category. And I find myself, you know, always trying to listen, listen more to the experts. So uh, that's near and dear to myself. And I think that I take that both personally and professionally just to try to be silent, listen, uh, and hear what the experts have to say to retain it. Got it. Good, good answer. Um, I know that a lot of people, especially in the food industry, they're, they're kind of, um, they listen second. I think, you know, a lot of people try and, and, you know, build their, either their food up or their, uh, restaurant up first and foremost, then actually really understanding, where kind of things come from and what the right approach is and, and, you know, really understanding how to, how to put together a a good concept. I would, I would think that's, uh, unfortunately most industries, uh, I think a lot of people rather talk than listen. And I find that again, across a lot of industries. And so, you know, what can we do different? What can we do better? And I, you know, pantry a lot of times and both me personally and professionally, just, listen to the environment and the consumer around you. I think that's just not done enough. Right. So how, so how did you get into, you come from a, a finance background, correct? That's correct. So take me through that, that journey, you know, how you kind of started with more of a, you know, finance investment perspective and then kind of jumped into the, the cannabis world. Yeah. Uh, I'll try and make this as concise as possible. Of course. Uh, you know, I'm originally from New York, uh, born and raised. And so grew up, you know, kind of knowing about three different industries, really law, accounting, or finance, uh, decided to go into finance, followed the family footsteps. 
um, climb the corporate ladder, really, you know, that was my understanding of the world, right? Like Wall Street, uh, you know, great career, a lot of knowledge, you can help people. Um, and so that's the direction I took for a large, you know, portion of my professional career. And it wasn't till, you know, I was fortunate enough uh, with one of the companies to go out to Los Angeles and started to, you know, evolve my way of thinking, right? Um, what, you know, there's finance, but what else, right? And out here in California, a lot of people talk about health and wellness. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think, you know, after eight plus years at the banks, you started to say, you know, is this, does this match with what I want for my life? And what else is there? So the thought started to evolve saying, you know, what is health and wellness? And can I play a better role in this? And as this prioritizes in my life upwards, uh, and, and kind of, career prioritizes down, you know, is there a better way to align my passion with my professional career? So I think in about early 2017, I decided to leave the banks uh, and I decided to pursue my passion for health and wellness. Mm -hmm. And there was a big intersection with that with cannabis because I grew up around cannabis my whole life. I've been consuming cannabis my whole life. And so I said, what, what, does what role does cannabis play in health and wellness, right? And how does that intersect? And so I, I started, you know, traveling up and down California. I started learning as much as possible. Um, and I think it was really the, the health pull of what cannabis can offer. And you only have to, you know, really dive onto the internet to start looking at, you know, reducing seizures, helping people with chronic pain. And, you know, you just start going down this black hole of saying, hold on, if I grew up, with something being so bad and illegal and you're going to go to jail, but I start seeing all these use cases of how it's helping people, mm -hmm. you know, maybe there's something here and I just needed to learn more about it. Got it. And then how, how did you educate yourself through this? Um, because a lot of people out there, you know, there's so much information out there. Um, what's kind of your approach to someone really trying to jump into the industry and learn what's actually happening and how, how to actually really go about it? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, unfortunately, there's, we live in an age with, you know, free information. So there's a lot of information on the web, and it's a great source to go on and say, okay, I want to learn about this. I want to dive in. But it's also, you know, the age of misinformation. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times when you start diving into the internet, or reading reports, you can start asking yourself, well, who wrote this? Who sponsored this? What was their bias? Or what was their agenda? And so one of the best ways, and I kind of developed this over, over my career, is to take what you're learning kind of on a macro level and maybe what you read on Wall Street or what you read on the internet and pair that with Main Street. And mm -hmm. by Main Street, I mean, you know, go to people that use cannabis, ask them about their experience and their relationship with it. A lot of times you'll find that that relates to stuff that you read on the internet. And sometimes you'll find that, you know, it's something different. It's something new. And I thought I find the best source of information is from people that have personal experiences with cannabis. Right. And so I continue to ask them to share their experiences with me so that I can learn. Um, but I'm also very, very interested in, you know, unbiased medical research that largely comes out of Israel right now. Uh, so pairing those two, not a, you know, one size fits all, but definitely taking a high, low approach to absorbing as much information as possible. 
Got it. Okay. And then is there any sources that you say, okay, I, I read this, you know, on a, on a consistent basis and I know it's a, it's a good source. Uh, I mean, I, I, there's a, it depends on the category, right. That you're looking mm-hmm. at. So, you know, coming from a finance background, uh, I can't absorb enough deal flow information. And what I like nice. about deal flow is there's less emotion involved, right? Mm-hmm. It's about, these are the hard numbers. This is what works and this is what didn't work. And there's less of a, maybe a spin on it. When it comes to, you know, outside of the hard numbers, I wouldn't say that I had, you know, my, my best source for that is talking to people. And it's not just here in California, it's Pennsylvania, it's New York, it's younger folks, older folks, international, and just, you know, the internet allows you to connect with these people. They're out there on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. And if you reach out to them, you know, I'm sure they'll be, you know, very forthcoming to share their experiences. And I think that that is, you know, one of the best resources that you can have is just look to your peers and ask them, you know, what they can share with you. Got it. Was there some sort of adjustment that you needed to, um, to experience when you went from kind of the Wall Street environment into food and cannabis? Or was it something like, okay, it's, it's basically the same type of structure or approach? Um, you know, what, 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 was there any adjustment there or not? It was a a big adjustment. I mean, uh, for lack of better words, the gloves were off, you know, when when you're at a big bank, there's an enormous amount of regulation, especially post 0809. Mm -hmm. Uh, and you find yourself, you know, potentially wanting to do good, right. Wanting to operate, but there's a lot of restrictions. And one of those restrictions was around cannabis. You know, hey, if you believe this was right for your client or, or if you thought you should recommend investing in cannabis, you could not because restrictions and regulations haven't caught up. So going into, you know, cannabis and food, there were no barriers, right? There was, there was nobody before me. There was nobody standing around me saying you can't do this or this or that. And I'll retract that statement. Of course, there were people before me, but, you know, there wasn't anybody that said, hey, this is exactly how you do it. And when you get in the industry, you're going to be boxed into kind of this way of thinking. Right. Um, so it really just, it, it was an adjustment of saying, hey, the suit is off now. The, the cuffs are off now. Uh, how much can I learn? How much can I experience and immerse myself in this industry to figure out the real potential here? And that was, it, it also matched a lot better with, you know, my personality. I found myself, you know, having to match, you know, always wear a white colored shirt at, at the bank and wear blue socks. And that kind of <laughs> rhetoric didn't really, you know, translate to me and, and my community outside of work, which was really, you know, we value people on kindness and, and, and thoughtfulness and less on you have to wear a white shirt to fit it. Right. I got it. So how did, how did you connect with the, with the co-founders of Pantry? Yeah, so when I was traveling up and down California, I kept bumping into a gentleman named Paul Rosen, who's uh, over time become a very close friend, a mentor, and a partner in Pantry. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I connected with Paul, we just kept bumping into each other. And, you know, people around us were kept saying, hey, you guys should talk more. You guys should really, you know, think about doing something together. Uh, Paul had, you know, just started Title Royalty, which was a publicly traded investment company invest in Canada, investing in the U.S., right? Mm-hmm. So Paul had done very well for himself in Canada. And he said, you know, now's the time to focus on the U.S. And this was right around the time, uh, a little after I had left the bank. And we said, wow, I said, well, you're going to go in, invest in the space in the U.S. I said, that's 
exactly what I'm looking to do. Yeah. Uh, uh, and linking up with Paul gave me a tremendous opportunity to really travel around the United States and meet with so many different operators, manufacturers, light producers, distribution companies, and really digest the company. But it also, in a weird way, helped me understand that while you're investing in the space, you know, you're, you're kind of, you know, very 30,000 foot view. Right. And, and so speaking with Paul, you know, in more depth, uh, he and I are also, you know, big plant advocates, right? We, we right. love cannabis, not just for the recreational, you know, use that it has, but for the medicinal benefits that it offers people. And so we said, is there a way to be closer to the community? Is there a way to be closer to the plant? to drive better products, right? Because if he and I are walking around and you know, we're, we wanna go consume a product, we weren't happy with, with the options, right? It was like sugar bombs this, or you, know, you can have joints and potentially you know, do some damage to your lungs. So uh, Paul and I you know, connected in, what was it? Uh, maybe 2016, maybe before then. Okay. Uh, and our relationship just continued to grow and bud from there. And I'm so glad to call him a, a dear friend and partner in pantry. Yeah. He's, he's a well, well-known name out there. Um, you know, it's definitely good to kind of see the circles in which he's kind of created and, and the products and, you know, teams like, like what exists in pantry is, is amazing. Um, you know, you guys are kind of the innovators in the, uh, cannabis food space and, that's that's what kind of drew me to to reach out to y'all like more than anything. Um, so, what's it like to be in the driver's seat of a of a company like this? Uh, in, um, on one hand, it's amazing yeah. because you can share a passion and you can drive that passion every day, uh, and that's you know near and dear to my heart. I mean, you know, health and wellness, food that that passion to get up and really try to execute that every day. Mm-hmm. Um, is very high on my list. So there's so much enjoyment I get out of getting up and saying, you know, I'm not trying to sell a asset allocation anymore. I'm literally, I want to, you know, innovate and create, you know, healthy food products that are infused with cannabis, learn as much as I can about it and offer this to consumers with the hopes of uh, improving their quality of life. On the other hand, uh, this industry is far from smooth. You know, it's very, very, very choppy. Uh, it's got a lot of uh, pit holes in it. Um, you know, people could be one of them. Uh, regulations, another one. Um, you know, this dynamic of all these different people coming from different walks of life and trying to merge together. I mean, there's really no consistency on professional backgrounds, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody comes from these different industries. So, you know, that can be looked at as, you know, daunting uh and scary but that can also be looked at as you know this is a problem that needs to be solved how should we solve it how can we accelerate through it Mm -hmm. uh and that's the kind of culture you know paul and i try to embody in the company can we be better on friday than we were on monday and if we can do that week over week uh, we'll know that we're moving in the right direction Okay. Do you think that there's some sort of proper structure to kind of launch a, a brand or a product like this? Is there, obviously there's no game plan. There's, you know, things change. Obviously you can, you can try and come out the gate with one marketing perspective or marketing approach, but obviously it changes as regular regulatory changes and everything else. 
but what are the, the, the foundations or the pillars that you need to really establish before actually launching something like this? Yeah, fantastic. Um, passion. You know, you have to align uh, the right people around the right passion. If mm. people are coming together just on based on an opportunity, oh, we can take advantage of this, but it's not really my passion. Right. You know, that will come out over time. You, it has to be a very organic, true passion that you want to win in this subsector that you're kind of working in. Uh, and, and the back end of that, it's the highest quality people. You know, a lot is going to change over the time of the company. Um, but it's those people that you're there with that are going to make those challenges harder or easier to establish. And kind of like earlier in the conversation here, when we correlated, you know, in, in the food space, how people talk more and listen less. And I would say the same in, in the cannabis space. Hmm. Um, you know, you have a lot of people, uh, whether it's in food or in finance or in cannabis that don't realize how important the people you, you have around you to the success of the business. Um, and that's why you'll hear me time and time again, you know, Paul and I will say we love each other, right? Because we're, we're you just have to be that way, right? If you yeah. want to have that culture, uh, and and with that foundation, I find that we can solve any problem that comes our way. Mm-hmm. And what were kind of the the biggest obstacles? Um, let's say the first ninety days and the last like two years. What were the the two biggest obstacles you guys had to really endure and kind of go through as a team? Yeah, I'd say, you know, speaking specifically about pantry, the first 90 days was very heavy regulation, Um, trying to make sure that your packaging is up to code and not only up to code, making sure that it's in line with potentially future regulation that's going to come down, right? Mm -hmm. So it's really establishing a strong framework to say, okay, when we have a product, can we take it through this regulatory supply chain and bring it to market? Um, so that was really the early part. So, Hey, how, how does this work? You know, how do you, how do you get through all these hoops and, and how do you comply with all this regulation and, and then really dosing, right? Like we had to work, you know, very, uh, hand in glove with chefs and the lab. Uh, and we weren't afraid to do numerous times of R and D to say, Hey, you know, we want to microdose products. We really don't believe in these, you know, not that we don't believe in it, you can go out and get recreationally high and sure people that have ailments may need, you know, high doses of cannabis, but we wanted to be, you know, very lightly infused. Mm -hmm. And so people said, don't do that. You know, you can't dose that low. It's very hard. And so we said, okay, well, you don't know until you don't try. And so we started trying it. And we started hitting, you know, two and a half milligrams or five milligrams. And so, you know, that early working of just the regulatory body, uh, also with the the dosage question uh, also paired with, you know, what ingredients to use were some of the, the early, you know, headwinds or, or troubles that we dealt with. Yeah. Um, and then most recently, I think it has to do with, you know, finding and acquiring the right customer. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'd say that there's a lot of consumers out there that desire a, a wide variety of different things. Um, and I'd say that, you know, here in California, the large majority of the of consumers don't even go to dispensaries, right? So that's crazy if you're creating a product for, you know, newer consumers who are, you know, might appreciate lower dose, uh, but the current consumer at the dispensary is very high dose driven. 
you kind of have to deal with that dynamic and how your brand's going to play a role in both the current consumer as well as try to uh, prepare yourself for future consumers that want to come into the market. Um, so that's the biggest question these days. It's really customer acquisition and how do we engage and build loyalty with our consumers and, and raise awareness of what we're trying to do while also create a feedback loop for them to share input to help guide the company as well. Right. I mean, that's interesting. You, you guys already know that customer is going to change through over time. Um, you know, it sounds like your goal is obviously to be, get that mainstream consumer that really, you know, isn't there to just get high and, and take a bite into an edible and get high. It's, they kind of want, really want to experience, you know, the quality of the product. They want to experience um, a nice balance of it as well. Um, so how do you guys try and articulate that or try and go after that consumer? I think the first thing is just listening to them, right? Going back to what does silence have in a conversation is just listen to them, right? There's a lot of different needs out there and you can't just try to fit them all. Um, and so we're trying to establish a very strong feedback loop with why do you consume cannabis? What experience are you looking for? What ailment are you looking to solve? You know, and it kind of, in a way, it all wraps up into this improvement of, of their quality of life, right? Mm -hmm. Whether you help them sleep, whether you help their, their, their migraines, you know, whether you help them just enjoy unwinding on a Thursday night instead of, you know, going to alcohol, you know, these are all different ways to improve somebody's quality of life. Right. Uh, so we like to listen to these people and really take this data in and say, you know, how do we best position around this? Right. And you'll notice something about pantry. We're not egotistical. We don't know today. Right. So while, when you ask me a question like this, it's more about the process that we have in place mm -hmm. versus saying, this is exactly how we're going to do it. We know by listening to the consumer, we'll learn more. We know that by listening to uh, farmer, we'll know more we know that by listening to the chefs and we'll learn more chemists right and so we have all these different data points that continue to feed into uh you know the pantry ecosystem and we continue to hold collaborative events for these people to share ideas because again we don't know what the best product is or the optimal is we know you know i know very early on that you know people that can't sleep which is a major issue have told me time and time again, they love a one-to-one -one ratio. Mm -hmm. you know, so pantry is coming out with a one-to-one -one ratio. We're going to use hash as our, as our, our base uh, to infuse. And we're going to use, you know, ashwagandha, uh, a mushroom to, to kind of help and, and help people alleviate and, and sleep better. Mm -hmm. And when you help somebody sleep better, they come back to you saying, holy cow, you know, <laughs> my life is so much better. Like, thank you so much. Brand new person brand new person and that's amazing and so i i don't want to get just pigeonholed on sleep although sleep's a very near and dear you know uh ailment or experience i want to help people uh overcome and live a better quality of life mm -hmm. but i don't want to turn my back from you know basically what what food as medicine what cannabis as medicine can do for these people right so for consumers and, and, lar and far and large so um we're just listening, learning more. And a lot of times you'll hear me use the word prioritization because you certainly can't achieve it all. Mm -hmm. And you have to match, you know, vision and desire from the market right. with execution uh, to be able to move the ball down the field. Right. And it's always a moving target. So it, it changes, I'm sure, every day. Um, 
given what's happening and everything else. So, um, so let's take a quick little break. Uh, when we come back, let's talk about people as far as who you guys invest in as a, as a company, where do you guys really find talent and also what's in store? What are the plans for, um, pantry food company in this coming up year? Sure. Sounds good. Welcome back to Bootleg Avocado. Scott, thanks for being on this interview. Um, Scott, let's jump into the aspects of people. Um, how do you guys invest in people and the culture within um, Pantry? Fantastic question. And it's a moving target. The, one of the most age-old questions that I struggle with is how do you, how do, you do that? right? It's a great question, right? And, and what's the best way to do that? Uh, I find one of the, you know, biggest values at the, at the core of any relationship is communication. Um, and a lot of times we'll try to rush communication by, you know, somebody saying they have an MBA or rush communication to say, hey, I have this experience over here, so I'd be great for you. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the best ways that we can you know, invest in, in our team or in the future team is really spending time to dialogue with them on a deeper level to find out what their passions are and to see if their passions align with the passions of, of pantry. And, and if it does, in, in what structure, mm-hmm. right? So you'll hear me, you know, talk internally to the team and say, hey, look, you know, we're a young company. Everybody's got to wear a lot of different hats. But ultimately, you know, my goal is not to say, hey, we have this box. Can you fit in it? Ultimately, my goal is to say, what is your what is your passion, and can we help you grow into that role, to uh, and and have that be part of pantry, right? Yeah. And if it's not part of pantry, that's okay too. You know, I think the goal is to make sure that people are comfortable and in the right path that aligns with their you know passion and desire in life, and and trying to alter that in any way. I find that to be a, a shortcoming on development of of humans and teams and culture. Um, so a lot of times it's, it's, there's not a perfect answer. Mm -hmm. It's largely around communication. Um, and we don't take, you know, big, uh, you know, uh, credentials as, as a, as a sign that says, Hey, you're perfect here. It's more about what do you do for your health and wellness? Do you meditate? Do you desire to help people? What is the ethos that makes you? And and if you share, if we overlap a lot on a lot of that, Mm-hmm. You know, I would say that that's somebody that I'd not only want to come to my Christmas party, that I'd work with, uh, and that I bring the times. Because if you're on a passion to improve quality of life and tough times come, well, you kind of know that's going to happen. You can call those people and you can jive about it. If somebody was just there for the bonus or the big payday or cannabis is a green rush, you know, a lot of times you'll end up hiring the wrong people. And this is all asterisked with you know, you're going to kiss a lot of frogs. There's going to be a lot of people that will come in and say, you know, you'll jive with and they'll be the best. And then sometimes it's not the case. Uh, and so me and the circles, even outside of pantry, we're always interested in how do you find the right people to build the culture? Every person you hire or bring into your life is either going to add value or take value away. And so you need to be very thoughtful about how you do that. And there's not a there's not a one size fits all answer on that, but through conversation and, mm-hmm. and diving deeper, you can really start to understand if that fit might be, might be there. 
Right. So from your perspective on, on the finance side, how would you go about evaluating some of these other companies that are out there? What are like red flags? What are the things that you, you really want to read into a little bit more uh, to really understand what's kind of behind that curtain? You know, what I say one of the best things, again, if you take Wall Street research and take Main Street research, one of the best things about Main Street research, and this ties into the Warren Buffett's of the world, which is like, if Warren drinks a, a can of Coke every day, he loves mm-hmm. it. He knows it. Right. right. Uh, you know, I consume cannabis every day. You know, I know it. I love it. I know what I like. I know what I don't like. Right. And I think, you know, if you're not seeing a company produce a product that people are talking about, I think that's a red flag. You know, yeah. at the base case, these companies should be making products that people desire. And if people aren't buying these products or aren't talking about them, aren't sharing about them on social media, you know, I think that's a red flag. I think that's one of the first ways you can say, hey, is this a good company or not? Um, On the high level, you know, I go to I go to management. Right. I want to see who the management is, where they came from. And you're going to see the best of the best of people online. So it's kind of hard to read through that. Um, But you can dive into, you know, maybe their past podcasts, maybe to interviews they've done maybe they've given you tidbits about you know who they are as a person uh what their culture is like at their company you know those things are, are so important and then lastly you know it's financials you know what is your what is your 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 loss what is your gain mm-hmm. you know where do you stand on that on that you know uh cycle uh, a lot of can- cannabis companies got caught in a you know bad bad spot right here when when the capital markets turned off Mm-hmm. You know, 90% largely were probably unprofitable. So most cannabis companies were operating under the assumption that they would get more capital invested in them to continue to operate. And so you have to be, you know, you want to look at a company and say, hey, do they need another $10 million check to keep going? Or are they close to profitability where if they cut their marketing budget and sales stayed flat, they'd have to actually be a profitable company? Um, and so those are three of the metrics, you know, is it a great product? Do you like it? Do people consume it? How is the management team? Do your best to understand them, where they come from, check some interviews, podcasts, and then three, you know, financials can be very complicated. There's a lot of accounting, you know, tricks in there, Mm -hmm. you know, but at the base case, you want to say, Hey, if, if they, you know, make a product for X and they sell it for Y and they make that profit, but they're spending X, Y amount on marketing or on SG&E, like traveling around or deal flow or anything like that, you know, if companies are largely unprofitable and you saw this in tech as well, you know, Snapchat was a great example, you know, companies that are high growth companies that don't have a clear path to profitability, you know, I would be, it's nothing bad about those companies because growth at all costs companies is kind of what the environment sometimes wants and calls for Mm -hmm. but as an investor you got to be very careful because again if the spigot turns off and the capital markets don't provide that next 10 million dollar check you know these companies could be in a tailspin and you as an investor could be you know left holding a a, a, you know a very poor performer in your portfolio (laughs) absolutely what what's your take on all these quote-unquote cannabis investors out there you know driving the market in one direction and then now you know, this year, a lot of people are calling for a lot of these companies to really go under, consolidate or whatnot. So what's what's your take on these these type of investors that are out there? You know, I 
there's very thoughtful investors out there and I want to give them all the credit in the world because they're, they're doing you know, a fantastic job at, at, you know, trying to analyze the risk, trying to take a position um, and really trying to be a, a, a good investor to push the industry forward, right? There's this huge noise in the space that's like, hey, I'm an investor, but I've never invested in the space before and you should listen to me and this is what's going on. And trying to cut through that noise is, is really important. And, and that's probably 90% of it. But if you watch you know, some of the better investments in the space, investors in the space, Merida Capital out of New York being one of them, you know, they'll put out newsletters that make sense that you can follow and understand it. Um, and, you know, they may not give you the, you know, the cutting edge advice you want to say, hey, I'm trying to invest in the space. Uh, but the truth is nobody knows yet. And so all these yahoos that are saying, I know this and I know that and this is this. Be very careful to listening to any of them. I mean, it's it's really unfortunate. Again, it goes back to internet's free information, which is fantastic. We can learn so much, but it's also you know uh, very muddied with misinformation. Mm-hmm. And so the investors that are in the space, I try to you know back into companies you like. TrueLeave is a great company that I like. It's in Florida. It's one of the most profitable, if not the most profitable, company in cannabis. You know, it's led by a women CEO. You know, I've followed that company and the fact that they've been profitable is something that I've, out of my own interests, have derived that says, hey, that's probably a good company for others to follow and look at. But if I go online and I read these articles about from any of these publications, it seems like, and this is very unfortunate, it seems like just a, uh, you know, an eyeball grab. Like how many eyeballs can I grab? And does that, you know, if I grab more eyeballs and more attention, can I then slip an ad in there and make it worth, you know, uh, the company that wants to run an ad, them paying me a fee. And so you have to be careful of this, you know, of that kind of scenario that's out there and you got to really dive into the weeds. And I would just say, take one company like truly really dive, dive deep into it. Uh, you know, they, they call their, their patients true levers, which is great. That's a great culture thing out there. Uh Um, they also do delivery, you know, you also have to, you know, you have to be thoughtful, you know, if you're a younger investor and you say, okay, well, I get 90% of my stuff delivered and, you know, these companies aren't doing delivery. Well, is that a problem, right? Like our consumers going to want to go to brick and mortar. And so while certain companies and certain investors will say, Hey, they opened their 15th shop, you know, what does that mean on the longevity of a, of a trend cycle? If consumers are more likely you know, to purchase online than in retail. And what does that, what does that mean? Right. That, that goes back to drinking a can of Coke, right? Mm-hmm. I do delivery a lot. Right. So I know delivery, I know delivery is big. So what does that, ha- what does that mean for retail in the future? And trying to understand that, I think it's important. So let, let's talk about the, the uh, product line for pantry. So for people to kind of really understand if they're not familiar with the brands, um, where has the uh, the company first started? What products did they first launch into now? And how has that really changed or adapted throughout the time? Yeah, so we, you know, when we looked at the market, there was definitely where we wanted to go. And then there was where the current consumer was. Mm-hmm. Um, one out of every two consumers that buy edibles in California are buying, you know, jellies or buying gummies. Um, th- that was a really tough, you know, uh, internal discussion for pantry because we said we don't necessarily want to be a gummy company right we, like that doesn't align with our health and wellness view 
Um, but we understand consumers want it today. So should we produce it and try to produce it in a healthier manner to give consumers that want that at least a better alternative? And so we decided to make a pat of fruit, which is, uh, you know, a French dish. Yep. It's, uh, you know, uh, fruit puree and pectin. And, uh, you know, we thought that was a better alternative than, you know, people that are using gelatin or people that are using a lot of, uh, of chemicals. And so we came out with a pat of fruit. Um, that was to really engage the market for the current consumer. And on the far right, you know, kind of where we want to go, we made a keto bite, right? And mm. the keto bite only had three ingredients in it, the fourth one being cannabis. Uh, they were ingredients you could read and understand. And it passes what I call the California test, which is the, you know, when consumers come in, they don't really look at the brand anymore. They turn it around, they look at the ingredients and say, okay, do these ingredients match what I know? with my nutritional knowledge that are okay for my body to have, and then they would purchase, right? So, uh, and in the middle, we came out with three signature bonbons, right? These were high-end, these were supposed to be giftable. Uh, this was also our call to say, hey, if somebody wanted to do weddings or fine dining, we can come in and integrate into those spaces. And that was, you know, built off of a, a, a tiramisu, a John Duya, and a uh, Frankie's olive oil ganache. Mm-hmm. Um, and those bonbons, you know, when you look at the market, the market wants jellies more and they probably want, you know, they're telling me they want keto bites more. But if you talk to, you know, catering or wedding or something just more elegant, you know, they're looking for that next wave. And, I, you know, I, the, the bonbons could be that, but they're just one version, right? And so everything that we've started with today is, you know, where we started today, where we're going to go in the future is really, you know, uh, sometimes a better question. And so the next skew we released after this was, you know, an, an infused olive oil. It was very, uh, you know, a lot of chefs had told us, hey, you know, if you made an infused olive oil with high quality olive oil, a THC, CBD, one-to-one, you know, that can live on in a lot of our kitchens, right? And so when you look at a lot of edibles, they are final product. Uh, packaged right meant to be consumed on the spot uh, olive oil is something you can take at home and really you know one of the first products you put in your pantry and say hey, I'm gonna use this I'm gonna use it on my chicken my pasta my salad dressing or even just straight on a salad uh, and so the olive oil was a great addition to you know go into that that space but where we're going in the future um, you know we're, we're, we're leaning more into new tropics uh, into botanicals. Um, you know, I wouldn't say that we have a, you know, a very concrete roadmap. We just know that, you know, what are we hearing from consumers? They want to sleep better. They've got pain. Okay. What are, you know, botanicals or, or ways that we can use cannabis with food to try to help people have these experiences or, or, you know, help their ailments. Also, you know, when you go and you eat and you dine, you don't want to be, you're not trying to solve pain or sleep, you're actually trying to stay awake and enjoy mm-hmm. yourself, right? So what terpenes, uh, what what added botanicals could we put in that to give you a light elevation so you're sitting there, you're having your dinner, and you say, well, I'm not high, but I certainly feel better. Um, and so, you know, what, what, the, what products fit in those categories is something that we are uh, reviewing all the time. And I think just the next iteration that we're gonna go after is really a, a, a night bite keto bite. Right. And that's just that's our way of saying, hey, we came out with these initial products. The consumers have told us they love the jellies. They love the keto bites. 
Uh, the bonbons sell in line with, you know, the broader chocolate market. But, you know, one of the things that consumers want is they want to go in there and identify per their ailment, right? It's just mm. easier for a consumer. There's so much packaging nightmare in there that you can't read it and you're trying to understand. So if you say, hey, this is for sleep time. This is your night bite. This is, you know, to help you get a good night's sleep. You know, that is our next pivot to lean into and say, hey, we're going to address this for you. We know this is a problem. And Mario, just to share, that's a very personal thing with me. Cannabis has helped me sleep for 15 some odd years. And again, it goes back to when you help somebody with sleep, they come back to you and they talk to you like as if you were a doctor. And I'm, you know, we're trying to do good, but we're far from doctors. Right. Um, and so I think leaning into this, uh, you know, night aid, uh, while also bringing that to consumers and gaining the feedback, I'm very excited about that. Right. But that's perspective is, is exactly right. So like when you, when you go to a restaurant and like, you know, the chef is back there cooking, you know, he's a well-known chef and he's cooked for you in the past. Like you rely on that person to cook for you another great meal. You know, it's, Absolutely. you know, they're, you know, they're not a doctor. They're not going to probably, you know, know all the nutrition behind it, but they'll make you something really tasty. It'll make you happy and you're satisfied at the end of the day. So like, I definitely understand that perspective of, of you know, coming to people come to you as a doctor, even though you're not, but also you're providing the right experience and the right product and the right tie back to wellness that they're, that they're looking for. And again, that's, that's also your brand, you know, which I, I think is, is really um, impactful for, for people out there, like really trying a lot of edibles out there, don't know which where to, which way to go. Um, so for the most part, you know, let's jump into some like quicker questions because I, I want to kind of bring tie this all together. So given the changing landscape of, of um, where food and cannabis is right now, what are kind of your bold predictions for this year and next year? Um, and also where do you think the East coast um, impact is going to be? Bold predictions. Um, you know, I see, I see healthy alternatives exploding in the cannabis mm. space. I just think it's, it, it, there's too many conscious consumers, at least here in California and, you know, largely West coast, and definitely, you know, increasing more broadly in, in every market, you know, consumers just demand better ingredients yeah. everywhere they go. And that's, that's just in, in regular food that's in cannabis. And so I think you're already seeing it. You're seeing more people come onto the scene that are trying to do, you know, not, pair cannabis wellness with bad ingredients. They're really trying to do something better for that overall experience. So I think health and wellness products will explode. And as far as New York, I think New York's going to be more on a, on a macro basis. The fact that New York gets involved and New Jersey and Connecticut and the whole tri-state over there to kind of capitulate, you know, I, I think of that as the, the linchpin um, to potentially federal legalization. Now, I don't see you know, just because New York saying, hey, we're going to legalize in 2020, that's not really going to have an impact, you know, until the industry comes online, until the facilities get built, until the supply chain's built out. And I know they have a medical program, but how will that medical program interact with the, the recreational program that's going to come online? So New York's definitely more of a headline uh, that we want, that personally, and this is arguable in the industry, personally, I want to see them. I'm from New York. I want it right. to go wrecked. <laughs> There's too many people in New York that say, hey, Scott, you know, when I came out to visit you, you helped me sleep. I went back and now I'm, I'm stuck in this culture where 
I don't have access to cannabis when I want it. And that's just, that's wrong. You know, in, in my opinion, you're, you're prohibiting people from uh, enhancing the quality of their life in a you know, non-addictive, uh, non-hurtful way to their body. And so I look forward to that being available to that market. But specifically in California, again, I, I think the major prediction is that health and wellness products are really going to, you know, come online and explode as the Gen 1 products kind of, uh, you know, have reached the end of their timeline in Gen 2 yeah. this year. What about on a global scale, any countries that you're really bullish on, really excited to get involved or even start distributing in? Good question. I mean, it goes back to people and honestly, people are very difficult. And even if you look at governments, even more difficult. California has raised taxes this year, right? Which Mm -hmm. nobody in their right mind would have said, you know, why would you do that? So when I look at other countries, you know, I'm very excited for the people within those countries to get access. Um, but as far as clarity on which programs are well and, and established and are going to make it, you know, easy to operate, uh, I don't, I don't have an answer on that. I, you know, if I were to just go back instead of going to international, and I really just go to our northern partners. Mm-hmm. I think Canada has a really good opportunity here to maybe lead on the science side you know, next to Israel, right? Yeah, and so yeah. I, I look forward to Canada getting out of this, you know, it's all about how many plants you can grow and the size of your farm and, you know, really saying, okay, well now what's next, right? Because there's so many cannabinoids and benefits for the cannabis plant. We can't just stop with how big your, you know, how large is the size of your grow, right? Like yeah. there's just too many ways to dive into this and, and chop it up for the consumer uh, benefits and, and different interests. So yeah. Okay. Um, so let's discuss. So what are you guys right now looking for? So let's say someone's listening to this podcast or this interview. What are things that you guys are looking for connections in? Um, how can people reach out to you? What's, what's kind of the, the goals, I guess? The, the goals, I, I was joking about this. The goal is that I have pantry is a big welcome sign on it, right? And yeah. so if you don't have ego, you are interested, you want to learn, you want to connect, you want to explore, you know, we're, we have a welcome sign to that, right? And, and mm-hmm. speaking more specifically, you know, it's anywhere from, I love, you know, Johnson and Wales, you know, culinary school getting involved. I love USC out here getting involved, but on a high end, I love CPG that's starting to look at the space, right? And I think the only way to sort through all the mess is to increase the amount of conversation between these groups. Um, and it's really not limited. Like, I kid you not. I farmers i want them to come in and speak with the chefs right but you have to have a chemist there and then to have students that are there from university and to have you know maybe a big cpg uh company come in you know the amount of information and collaboration between those groups is so immense that we could create and probably do anything in this industry but it won't happen until we start bringing more of those people together so i would just say if, if you don't have an ego if you want to learn you know, Pantry is really a platform to try to bring people together to really exploit the, the you know, food and cannabis together and what those benefits are. Right. I, I think there's, um, there's definitely a shift in the higher education, uh, you know, colleges and universities like Yale. I'm a Babson alum. I know there's a, a cannabis con- um, group as well that launched, I think, last year. You know, I, I think that those type of... Um, pioneering type of groups within like high education is, is key. 
um, especially in, in these cities and, and how else we can kind of tie, you know, food, cannabis, education, and advocacy behind all that. Um, so and, my, and, when, and when you, when you think about the minimal research that's been done, how excited can we get about those universities getting involved? Yeah. I mean, because the research, you know, we're out here trying to execute as businesses and shareholders and you, know, you have certain, you know, agendas that you have to hit as a company that you hope align with your passions and you can balance those. But, you know, school is really just, you know, their research, you know, demographic to kind of go out and push this ball forward. So I get very excited about them getting involved and seeing what they can develop and then what, what they develop, hopefully partner with that and take that to the real market. It's a real uh, benefit here. Great. So Scott, we're very excited to have you um, at Bootleg Avocado Presents uh, on February 27th. Um, is there an email or uh, the right way to kind of reach out to you? If you shoot an email to chef at Pantry Food Co., okay. uh, someone on my team will definitely uh, pick that up. And if you address it to me, I'll as well pick it up. And we look forward to hearing from people that are interested in the space and seeing if we can't you know, increase the dialogue and collaborate. All right. Well, Scott, thanks for the time today. Um, see you in about a, a month exactly today. Um, and then we'll, we'll see uh, what, who else we can meet and who else we can connect you with as well. Thanks, Mario. All right. Safe travels, bud. Have a good afternoon. Take care. You too. Cheers.